Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. I'm a licensed marriage therapist in the state of Missouri and an ASEC certified sex therapist. You can find me at www.therapistinstlouis.com. This isn't something I usually do, but on today's show, I interview somebody who actually has a very different viewpoint from me. And so I wanted to take just a few minutes to explain some of the differences between me and this interviewee and why it's important for me to clarify this before the show goes on. So there is a huge debate currently in the country between sex therapists and sex addiction therapists. And the debate is around whether sex addiction or porn addiction is real. Now, in I am certified with ASECT, which are sex therapists, and ASECT takes real pride in looking at research and science and making sure that we're stating facts. And so part of the reason that ASECT is very much opposed to porn and sex addiction is that we are not seeing scientific facts that are backing up those claims. Um, We do see that people are experiencing shame sometimes associated with their porn usage or their sexual behaviors. So that actually is a universal between sex addiction therapists and sex therapists. However, we don't see the porn as addictive. We don't see the brain changing because men or women are watching porn. We don't see orgasms as addictive. But what we are seeing is that there is differences in the literature for sex addiction therapists. They do see things as an addiction. They um, do see, there are images that show that the brain, you know, gets excited when it has sex. And obviously, I mean, well, we all know we get excited when we have sex. That's kind of the point. But to say that that excitement is an actual addiction is a hard, it's a hard connection. And so as a result, when I was talking to this particular interviewee, um, I didn't actually know which side she fell on because she's not necessarily, probably not certified on either side. I know she's a marriage coach. Um, but I started hearing language like healing the brain or um, the, the porn addicted brain, that sort of thing. So um, I want to clarify that as a sex therapist, we don't We do not back sex addiction or porn addiction as a diagnosis. Now, however, why I still wanted to put up this podcast, actually, is that this year I really want to start having conversations with people who are outside of my comfort zone, people who don't agree with everything that I say or do, because the reality is I could just sit around and talking to people who are exactly like me, but then we don't learn and grow. Part of what I'm seeing in this country is that we're so divided on these different little issues that we can't come together in the universal truths and the universal middle grounds. And as a result, we can't hear each other. Uh, An example, so if, if I have somebody come into my room and they're, usually it's somebody who has a very conservative background and they're telling me, I have a porn problem. I have a porn addiction. This is causing harm to me. If I tell them, well, that's not true. That's not what's happening. And I just kind of, I mean, basically shame them with facts. <laughs> if that's what I do, I'm not going to connect with that client. I'm not going to help them to take a problem and make it something better, to make their life better. And so it is important for us to have conversations with people outside of our comfort zone. It's important for me as the therapist you listen to, to not stay in a bubble of 
liberalism or a bubble of even research and facts, even though those are really important to me, I have to understand people's opinions and I have to understand people's values. And so I really appreciated interviewing this this person. And without further ado, I ask that you listen to try and hear the universal truths that kind of exist across the mediums and listen to hear the pain that she's trying to help in the same way that I'm trying to help, just with a different background. Now, today I am interviewing Jana Denton Howes, a marriage coach. Hi, Jana. Hey, great to be here. Thank you for coming. And a quick description of what you do is you're a marriage coach who specializes in helping married women want and enjoy more sex or sex more. Interesting. So how do you do that? <laughs> Tell me all about it. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, how long do you have? Uh, forever. No, <laughs> not forever. Yeah, but, but the, mo- the way I help um, women and couples is through a program that I have called the Wanting It More program. So I just started week one actually with a new round. And yeah, we gather and we go through the methodology of the Wanting It More framework together and have group calls. It's really, it's quite phenomenal and transformative because we don't talk about sex with anybody. So, and a lot of these women have felt really broken, like there's something wrong with them. They've been trying different ways. They've been forcing them to have sex, themselves to have sex, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just exciting to be able to be in a safe environment where you can just be like, I would rather never have sex again or like clean the toilet than have sex. So <laughs> it's just it's just good to just be open and honest and also be very courageous. I, I actually get them to do a lot of very um, courageous and, and I think really, really life changing um, things, which I'm happy to get into. What kind, Yeah, I was going to ask what kinds of things, courageous things do you challenge them to do? Well, in the first week, I get them to talk to their husbands about having a three-week break from sex. Okay. And for some women, they're like, dude, I haven't had sex for like a year, so I'm totally fine. Like, it's fine. But even those women, I'm like, just have the conversation because even if you hadn't had, haven't had sex in a long time, you're thinking about it almost every day. Yeah, What's you're not really me? taking any sort of break. <laughs> no. Like, you're thinking, oh, can it, you know, is tonight the night? Can I get... I get horny tonight or you know you're reading articles or you're just feeling really crummy when you maybe your friends you know make a little offhanded comment about how much sex they're having or whatever and it's so important to just have a voice in your relationship and on the other end of the spectrum there's women who have been forcing themselves to have sex like maybe three times a week and they've never really wanted it or enjoyed it and for those women it's really important to create that space for themselves and in fact, I had a woman just comment today. I also have a husband program. So um, the women, if there's some willing husbands, they have a whole program themselves, which my husband and I created. And she's like, I don't know what you told him to do, but he hasn't been initiating any physical touch. And in just a day, she's like, I've initiated hugging my husband twice now. And I can't even remember the last time I initiated or wanted any sort of physical touch. Would you say some of what you're doing is trying to remove some of the pressure around sex? Oh, absolutely. Yes. You know, three major things that women need. Safety. And safety looks, it's very nuanced. It's very subtle. 
then you have zero pressure and then you have a hundred percent acceptance. So that's accepting yourself or just what your sexuality looks like and then creating boundaries so that your husband can eventually um, accept you for who you are. And maybe enjoy sex with you in a way that would work for you. <laughs> That's my hope. <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be great? Yes. Well, you know what's funny about that? Like, I realized recently, um, I'm putting out these new YouTube videos, and one of the ones I put out was around oral sex and uh, the boundaries that women can put around oral sex that I don't think get talked about. You know, I keep hearing these stories about women who are really not enjoying it. They just, they're not liking the sex because they feel like they have to do it in this certain way. And our society definitely has porn to look to for that. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> pros and I cons, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, pros and cons, right? So like there's at least a visual representation, but it doesn't really show it in a way that a lot of women would enjoy it. And so, you know, I wonder to what degree are you even giving women permission to have boundaries? <laughs> I wonder. Well, not even like... I, I take it pretty extreme. Per- permission to not like kissing, permission to not like oral sex, permission to want to wear clothes, permission to keep the lights down low, permission to farts, permission to, <laughs> um, like, just permission to be silent and still. You know, do you know how, how much pressure we have to perform in the sexual experience? And that's not just porn. I mean, we do live in a pornified world and... and I definitely deal with the effects of that all the time in my work. Um, and actually, my husband healed from a 15-year porn addiction. So I have a lot of personal experience with this. But um, even just watching any TV, like watch any sex scene on TV is very prescriptive about what women should like. Women should love their breasts being touched. Women should like it. You know, women should not touch their clitoris. Where do you ever see a woman touching her clitoris on a TV? Like, it's just so I don't ridiculous. Think I've ever and seen so, it. <laughs> actually, right? it's 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 nuts. And so, and actually, one of the things I get women to do is uh, media detox when they come into the program because I say no more feeling like you should do anything at all. It's very much about learning how to trust your intuition and learning what feels good and what doesn't. I tell them if it's a maybe, it's a no. Okay. So what kind of responses do you get from women when you kind of say, hey, I want you to let go of this for a time? I think there's definitely a feeling of relief. Okay. That I can, I mean, of course, any change, there's some messy in the beginning right there's always kickback (laughs) you're crazy why would I do that (laughs) yeah like transformation is hard I think the media detox has never been a challenge people are like yeah that makes sense I need to create a place where you know it's just for eight weeks and you know you can watch nature documentaries or cooking shows or whatever I mean you can watch (laughs) stuff but I say just stay away from anything that's going to tell you what your body should look like or what your sex should look like And I think the most exciting thing when we do that is that women open their eyes and they're like, wait a minute, like in this show that I'm watching with my kids, there's subtle hints about what sex should look like or what my body should look like. When I go in the mall and I walk by like a lingerie store, there's messages about what sex, like it's everywhere. And I think that's the most exciting part of the media detox. What do you think that images portraying to people 
You know, you say that you can't walk without having some image of what your body should look like or what your sex should look like. So what do you see it doing to people? Well, I think it goes back to sex is not about your pleasure. Sex is about performance. Sex is about what it looks like to your husband. And I definitely experienced that. A huge part of my marriage is I felt like I was... I was putting my body into positions, you know, like that, Mm -hmm. like butt out, boobs out kind of position. I literally (laughs) have an image of, I walk by Licenza. Um, I don't know if, is that Canadian or American? I don't know. I don't know (laughs) who that is, but whatever, keep telling your story. (laughs) It's like a, it's like Victoria's Secret, like a laundry store. And I walked by it and there was a massive poster of a woman in bra and underwear. And she was on her knees with her butt out and her boobs sticking out, like arching the back. Oh, you know, yeah. That, that, that typical sex look, right? I just want to point out that I've tried to get into that position before and it really hurts my low back. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I'm serious. Like I wanted to get a picture like that. And I, you know how they do it in the beach? Like it's a painful position. <laughs> like, you shouldn't be in that position. <laughs> Yet every model looks like that. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So that that potentially can tell me that my body is to look at. My body is not to feel good. So it's about looking good, not feeling good. And I see this happen in, in way more subtle ways. Like, for example, for a long time, I would put my leg over my husband's leg. So it's kind of like, I guess this is a show about sex. We can talk about all the things. So kind of like rubbing my, <laughs> my, you know, rubbing my clitoris up against his leg. Like you can imagine that. Okay. And then after years, I'm like, why am I, I don't actually like this position. Like I don't, I actually like to be tucked away. And so now when I cuddle with my husband, I tuck my legs like under his legs and I really enjoy the heaviness and weight and warmth of his body. I call it the weighted blanket. <laughs> oh, nice. I come up with right? weird terms. Two cuddle positions. One's the weighted blanket when a guy kind of like puts his weight on you. But a second one is the motorcycle pose when you're like kind of holding each other just like you were on a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I know. I don't know. I could. I think. I think you're right, though. Like, I think that people are, you know, to your own story, and like people kind of just are doing what they think they're supposed to be doing for whatever reason, you know. And and you get into these habits in your relationships too. So it feels like, um, you know, it feels like you can't change it or you can't do something different because then that's not how it's supposed to be. And there's so many images that people are getting that are telling them just that. Like, no, this is what sex is. You don't like it. Or what you like probably won't be normal. So just keep, I guess, keep performing. (laughs) Yeah, and I think actually one of the worst things I see is pathologizing women's desires or non-desires. So Hmm. if you don't like your breasts being touched, you must have had some trauma and we need to fix that trauma. Or if you don't like oral sex, then we need to, what's wrong? You don't connect with your body or there's something wrong here. And that's our whole culture that is, even the term low libido or low sex drive are just complete 
I want to swear right now, but I won't. You can (laughs) cuss. It's a cussing podcast. (laughs) I mean, not all the time. I just do it for emphasis and humor. (laughs) I I feel so strongly about it. You know, I have story after story of women who have gone to seek help and have been told that there is something wrong with them because of of what they want or what they need. And um, I had that happen to me. By a sex therapist, not sales sex therapist, but wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, you know, that. you're talking to a sex therapist. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I think, I just think that we need more permission. We need more, I think, like counselors need more specific training around sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I just, I just heard so many terrible stories of, you know, just do it, force yourself. It's good for your marriage. Um, make it happen. Or there's something wrong with you on the other end. And I'm like, I do not believe women are low in anything. I I just think that they don't have the right environment of safety and zero pressure and 100% acceptance in order for them to to want and look forward to it. So what do you do to help them create the environment? So there's, I have um, kind of three paths that I work on in the program with women and with couples as well. But they're they're really simple, but yet incredibly profound. So the first one I touched on already, which is trusting your intuition. So trust what feels good and trust what doesn't. And I get women to practice this in their everyday life first because they're not having sex for the first three weeks of the program. And so we're focusing on other things. So go for a walk. Do I want to turn right? Do I want to turn left? That's an easy thing to do. What do I want to eat for lunch? Trust your intuition. If it's a maybe, it's a no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what do I want to wear today? I mean, there's so many ways that you can practice this in everyday life. Then when you get into the sexual experience, which is way more charged and has another person involved, then you have already practiced it. And so you're way more likely to be like, okay, I can do this. You know, I don't actually like big, wet, slobbery kisses. Um, I want a cheek kiss instead, you know? No, it makes sense. Which, yeah, then prioritize your pleasure. So I really believe that women are in a pleasure deficit right now. I would agree with you there. (laughs) Yeah. And this is different than self-care. Like self-care is, you know, drink your water, eat your kale, go to yoga. Uh, That's such a fun These prescription really for self-care, by the way. <laughs> Drink water, eat Is kale, it? do yoga. I'm like, actually, yeah, that about sums it up. I'm pretty sure that's what we're all supposed to do every day. <laughs> all right. And, and, and can even start feeling guilty, like, I should be doing self-care. And then it becomes a really terrible cycle of us actually not, not even taking care of ourselves, but then feeling guilty about it. And it's just all this, like, pressure. Anyways, so that's kind of a side end, <laughs> but... But pleasure, like like right now, I, I have five senses that I can tap into. Even talking to you, like I can look over at my beautiful blue water bottle and enjoy that for a couple of seconds. Or I can feel like the weight of, the, you know, my body on the cushion and I can enjoy that. Or I might have something, I have a banana in my room, so it's not the best <laughs> smell in the world. But, <laughs> but you, you know, like I was, I was using... Um, I have this wonderful lube that I use and it was it has this like cinnamon scent to it and I was like so enjoying that in the sexual experience. The smell of the cinnamon and the warmth that it 
like kind of was warming up my body. And so if we can prioritize our pleasure and make that a thing that we do, whether that's extract, extracting pleasure, like I just described, or upgrading existing activities into pleasure, going for a walk, wear nice, cozy, warm socks, doing the dishes, pop in a podcast or get a nice smelling soap, you know, just upgrade your normal experiences just slightly. Or even if that's planning, like yesterday, um, I took myself out on a date because I had just been working really, really hard getting this group of women together for this live round. And I just, I was like, okay, I'm going to trust what feels good today. So I just got in my car, literally no plans, ended up at Staples, got some office supplies that I love and ended up at the beach and then had some tasty food. And I just kind of did what I would do for a sexual experience, really. It's just kind of leading it and seeing where it goes. And that's another a huge thing that um, I think is different about the work I do is I, I teach women to be the leaders and men to be the responders. How does that impact things? It's beautiful. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's beautiful because I really believe, and this is after a couple of years of doing this work, is that these women in particular who will have been labeled by our society as low, you know, having a low sex drive, um, they're actually quite sexual women. They're actually really amazing and they just haven't had that safety yet and so when they become the leaders yes of course at first it's intimidating a little scary and you know I walk them through how to do it and all of that but when they can lead it then that will give them all of that safety that they need and I believe men are wonderful responders like it's not a hierarchy thing it's not like who's better here who's going to be the boss in the bedroom it's (laughs) it's what I really think right I really think men are great responders for so many reasons. Well, I, I mean, this is going to go, I'm going to go rogue here and go back to an old episode of Game of Thrones, um, which was a little rapey, so it's not perfect. But I don't know if you watched the show, but there was this episode with Daenerys, who is like the, she's some sort of like Viking princess or something. And I remember there was an episode where she kind of took the lead, like this whole time she was in this relationship where she kind of felt um, it disempowered. And um, like she she kept talking to apparently this uh, this prostitute who was telling her, you know, actually men do like it when women take the lead. They're just sometimes, um, you know, it's you that you kind of hold your bat, yourself back. And it was interesting because when she did, they actually started this beautiful love affair, her and her husband, when she started to be in the lead. And he did kind of, you know, so I know not the perfect scenario because, you know, Game of Thrones is some pretty gross stuff. But like in this scene, I was like, oh, wow, they fell in love. Like, like that, she became empowered and she learned what her pleasure was. And it was really cute to actually see that somewhere in like a scene. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but it sounds like, you know, in some ways, but probably in maybe a better way, who knows, your women are doing the same thing. They're trying to take back what's theirs, their own power, their own sense of pleasure. Um, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, when we really look at equality, because equality comes up a lot, you know, well, that's not fair. One person gets the lead and the other person responds. And I think it's really important to see equality. Actually, the right word is equity when everyone gets what they need. And the fact is, like you pointed out, husbands want to feel wanted. Mm -hmm. They want to feel desired. They want to feel important. They want to feel like a priority. And 
that happens when the woman is the leader. So it's a beautiful dynamic in which everyone gets their needs met um, in a way that provides that safety and zero pressure and acceptance for the woman. So what do you think, like what's been the hardest part of the journey for you doing this work? Oh man, that's an excellent question. I am not somebody who set out to do this work. Like I didn't, I wasn't like, when I grow up, I'm going to talk about my sex life online and <laughs> do this. You know, what, you I didn't just, plan I, for this? <laughs> I did not plan for this. In fact, I felt a lot of shame about sex a lot most of my life. And so I think the hardest part was coming to the realization that this is how I can be, you know, be the best be of service in the world in the best way possible. Um, and that's challenging. I mean, getting my Facebook ads approved is challenging. Um, yeah. You know, people don't share my stuff because they don't want to admit that this is a struggle for them because they're feeling shame. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's not the best business model. You know, I, I have been very successful, thankfully, because um, I think I'm very narrowed and niched. But just from a business perspective, it's, it's been really challenging. Yeah, it is really difficult, actually. It's funny, you know, I know I have listeners in the podcast, but like people are very, they're very scared to put it out there, right? So the ones who are the most vocal will be other sex therapists or sex enthusiasts, I would call them, (laughs) you know, but like for the most part, I'll just hear kind of secretly somewhere, you know, I'll be at some networking event and somebody will be like, I totally listen to your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it's like a secret. And maybe that's the problem is that I think, Sex is either um, made made very popular in a way that doesn't feel real to us, or it's made it's made everybody feel kind of ashamed of themselves. Like the most common question people are asking me is, "I like this thing. Am I normal? I want this. Am I? You know?" And I'm making that very generic, but the big generic still question is, "Am I normal? Am I healthy? Am I okay?" And you know what's crazy? A lot of times they are. <laughs> like a lot. They are. They're <laughs> like normal. Most of the time. <laughs> and you know what keeps me going? I, probably the same thing that keeps you going is the stories of transformation. Like, I I mean, I could, I could tell story after story of, you know, women who <laughs> created a church group around talking about sex. You know, they, they healed their shame so much that they were able to do that and help other women or... I've had, you know, therapists and doctors and other medical professionals go through my program just to help themselves, but then have transformed the way that they work with their clients. Um, or, or I've had women make courageous boundaries in their marriage, you know, tell their husbands that they aren't okay with porn being in the picture. And then it's very detrimental and making boundaries and stepping up. And I've just, I, I had a woman once who, she was. She really wanted to join the program. She just didn't have the money for it. And I think her grandma gave her a birthday money, and she used the birthday money to join the program. And it was like she was really, really struggling in her relationship, having a voice. And within a year, oh, you can't even imagine the growth. Like she, she stepped up. She created boundaries. She became the leader. She looked forward to sex. Like it was. It was phenomenal to watch her her growth. What do you think are some of the things that are leading to low libido for women? 
like making what's creating this for people in your opinion? Yeah, so we go back to pleasure deficit. Okay. You can't you can't you can't want sex. You can't enjoy sex, which is probably the most challenging pleasure to enjoy because it just requires a lot of focus, a lot of a lot of emotion, a lot, a lot of, safety, of vulnerability. A lot of vulnerability, right? It, it, kind it's of a, a lot. Pretty, like, it's a pretty um, advanced pleasure, would you say? So yeah. if you're not even enjoying anything throughout your day, how do you expect to transition into a sexual pleasure? You know, when you're at like negative 150, that's an arbitrary number. How are you <laughs> supposed to get there, right? So yeah, pleasure deficit. Um lack of safety. So women are not using their voice. Their husbands are slapping their butts in the kitchen or, you know, they're feeling pressure to, to give their husband this big makeout kiss, which they hate, or they're feeling pressure from their husbands because as you know, and probably your listeners know for men, I mean, there's so much attachment related to physical touch and to enjoyment. Well, I won't make a blanket statement for the, for the dynamic that I work with, you know, the women, the men generally want sex more than the woman. And so there's all this um, attachment pressure, like you have to reciprocate my touch so that I feel like you love me. I feel like you, that's heavy. That's heavy stuff. So we, we address that in the, the husband's program. Well, you know, it's interesting then, just to add to that. I've noticed sure. that those stereotypes that seem to exist aren't always true. So, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the stereotype that men only want sex and women only want emotional connection. Um, yeah, we need those things. Don't get me wrong. But when I've talked to men, for example, who, um, yes, they are putting a lot of pressure on sex, but they want just as much touch too. Like they, they also want that affectionate touch, but it seems like they've gotten into this dynamic between the two of them where they're avoiding all things that could lead to sex, including those basic touches or hugs or cuddles because she doesn't want to, um, the woman doesn't want to hurt his feelings or start something that she can't finish. And then the man, you know, yeah, he does seem like he's ready any time, but he also will complain to me, you know, just that he misses that they used to cuddle and kiss and hold each other. And he wishes that dynamic could be there too. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I want to acknowledge that I work with a very small subset of the population. That's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I do see some trends in the work I do, but I am a huge um, advocate of scheduled sex. And so mm-hmm. what ends up happening is that when you have sex, you know, I have sex Saturday mornings. And so when I have sex Saturday mornings and we're not having sex unless it's scheduled, then by golly, I am like initiating way more touch during the week because I don't feel like pressure to advance things. I don't feel like I'm responsible if he gets an erection to like, you know, take it the distance. So I see way more physical touch um, happening with the couples that I work with just because of the scheduling part. Hmm. How have people responded to that? I've also talked about um, scheduling sex, but maybe in a different way. So I'm just curious how your how your population is liking or disliking that particular idea. <laughs> I think it's probably yeah. Then the, I would say the men generally, um, if if porn is in the picture for the husbands, um, definitely they will fight. Um, sex, uh, scheduled sex, because, oh, that's a whole other can of worms. We could get into that, how porn affects the male brain and, well, 
and the female brain as well, but I work with this subset of the population, so the women I'm working with aren't watching porn for the most part. Um, uh, but yeah, so they, they struggle because I think primarily they, they, they're confused. Um, they're confused that their wives, if they want, okay, this is how they think. If the wife wanted me, then she would want to have sex with me spontaneously. If she's having to schedule it, that means she doesn't want me. Mm. And what we're really bumping up against is different types of desire. I'm sure you know that there's two types of desire, which is responsive desire and spontaneous desire. Yes. And you can read about this in the wonderful book, Come As You Are, by Emily Gusky, which I love. Yeah. Um, so 70% of the population has responsive desire, which means that you need to be in a sexually relevant situation in order to start having some sexy feelings. It doesn't just happen when you're washing the dishes or something. So unless they're sexy dishes, the sexy dishes, you know, that warm bubbly soap. So like the first video that we do in the husband program is it's titled, it's not about her not wanting you because Mm. that's a misconception. If my wife doesn't want sex, my wife doesn't want me, which is not true. Well, what, what do you say then instead? What is it about? She has a responsive desire which means that she needs to be in a sexually relevant environment in which she feels safety and no pressure and acceptance in order to, to, uh, to have her sexuality um, come through. I gotcha. Yeah, because a lot of women do have responsive desire. Some men do too as well. Actually, I think in Nagoski's book, she mentions a 70-30 split of 70% of women have responsive desire and 30% of men. And essentially, just to break that down for listeners, responsive desire is desire in response to cue, desire in response to being in a good headspace. Um, and uh, one of the things she mentions actually in the book, which I thought was kind of fun, was like the brakes and the the pedals, the go pedals. <laughs> like there are certain things that mm-hmm. kind of start sex for the accelerators. There we go. Yeah. There's things that sort of move it forward, but there are definite halts. When I was, um, when my daughter was really young, I have a four-year-old now, but when she was a baby, I remember the um, the the sound, you know, the the, what do you call it? The baby monitor? Anytime, mm-hmm. it was funny, so my husband would turn down the monitor thinking like that would make it work out, but I could still see the red line. <laughs> like, I'm like, my baby's <laughs> still crying. This hasn't changed anything. So that was a definite halt for me where I was just like, I can't, I can't even look at you. I need to go talk to my baby. You know? <laughs> uh, but that was like a really helpful framework just to see some differences there of like, oh yeah, that's what's going on. And, and that's why I just even, you know, even when I had planned sometimes for some sexual interaction, I just couldn't get in that space with those breaks in mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What are some ways you help your female clients re-experience pleasure? We're really looking at sex now in terms of enjoying enjoying some physical pleasure together, where the woman is the leader and the man is the responder, and in which goals are off the table because these women have been so focused on goals for so long. You know, if I don't have an orgasm, then it's not a legitimate sexual experience. If we don't have penetration, it's not a legitimate sexual experience. Mm. Is my husband enjoying himself? How is he doing? There's very little thought of their own experience. So I get them to start really, really slowly 
And some, I mean, it's a spectrum. Some women are like, okay, got it, Jana. And they run, they just go for it. You know, I have, I have women who are like, we're doing like yoga moves now together. And like, we're slow (laughs) dancing and like, we're having showers together. And, and they're just like, you know, they just needed a little permission, a little nudge, and they are off to the races. Mm -hmm. And also they probably have very willing and supportive husbands, you know, ninja responders, as I like to call them. (laughs) Um, But then we have women who are like, Jenna, give me a list. Like, tell me what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. And they feel so awkward and so uncomfortable. And their husbands maybe are very supportive or not. And so there's that dynamic there as well. And so for those women, I just say, look, we're just going to start really simple because I have tried giving them like this massive list to try and it doesn't work because it's still another thing that they can fail at. It probably overwhelms an, them. <laughs> yeah. And it's always like, oh, you know, I should try, you know, breathing together and they're like, but I don't like it. Then what's wrong with me? They're just so <laughs> in the headspace of like, what's wrong with me? This doesn't work. Like I remember reading, I was like that too. I remember reading a book, great book by the way, called Slow Sex by Diana Richardson. And um, she's got three books. It's kind of a like a tantric model of sexuality, but I love the way she approaches it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was in the one for women. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. And she was talking about your breath as being like a source of sexual energy and everything. And after I read that book for months, I was like, what's wrong with me? I don't feel the <laughs> sexual energy in my breast. I hate my breast being touched. Like, <laughs> and then I got into that headspace again. It's like, what's wrong with me? And, I, and I'm like, dude, Jenna, nothing's wrong with you. You just don't like your breast being touched. Like, get over it. Like, move on. <laughs> you, know, you, like a, you like a million other things. So There's so many other body parts that can experience pleasure. Right? <laughs> or like, I like my breath mushed up against my husband's chest. Well, that's so that's a different kind of touch, but it's still touch. Right. It's just a different kind. Exactly. So I have to be cautious about actually being prescriptive in any way, shape or form with things that I don't think are absolutely necessary. So for those women, I just say, look, we're going to put a timer. So I, I use a lot of timers because women will often feel like, okay, I need to get to orgasm for a sec to end. Um, well, no, you don't have to. You um, can if I, you wish. First, <laughs> you, if you wish, like that's fine. Orgasms mm-hmm. are great. I personally um, love an orgasmic experience over like a peak orgasm. But set a timer, like maybe 20 minutes because there's just starting. I like think exploration dates could be like an hour to two hours because there's some talking and it's very mm-hmm. like a fruit salad, you know, experience rather than an A to B goal oriented experience. And just has your husband lay on his on his back Tell him this is not going to be like super intense sex. Um, have him close his eyes. If you're really nervous or he's nervous, have some slight distraction so he could be listening to a podcast or you could be listening to a podcast, like some sort of or music or something like that. Um, and then practice touching him for your pleasure. So we often touch our partners for their pleasure, but um, these women I work they they go they go way far into the end of the spectrum with that. Like they're way too hardcore about you know just doing things that their husband might enjoy. Mm-hmm. So touch him for your pleasure, which means put your hand on his chest. That's it. Put your hand on his chest. What do you want to do next? Do you want to push down on his chest? Do you want to flip your hand over and feel the back? You know, on the back of your hand. Do you want to lightly tickle his chest? Do you want to <laughs> sniff his armpit? Do you want to like? breathe on his neck? Do you want to smell his neck? Do you want to run your hand through his hair? Mm-hmm. 
you know, you what you're saying is very, I just wanted to let you know that what you're saying is very sensate focus of you. Have you ever read anything about that? <laughs> yes. I mean, so I'm a highly sensitive person. I don't know if you or your listeners know it's a thing. There's a percentage of population that has a highly sensitive nervous system. I find oh. I attract a lot of women so who are high, also highly sensitive but don't know it, which has okay. actually made me wonder if there's actually a correlation between so-called low libido and being a very sensitive person huh. because I find a lot of these women are overstimulated, overwhelmed and overstimulated. And so we got to bring it back to the basics. That makes Basically. sense. No, and I, I I do something kind of similar where, you know, you can also call it like sex yoga or whatever, but you're just kind of like getting into your sensory feelings. I also call it like going into your animal instinct brain where you just kind of, you're feeling your feelings, but like it's not even about, like you said, it's not about getting into an orgasm. It's not even about like, did I get to this end goal? It's about what feels good, pleasurable, what's stimulating those sensory nerve endings and to your point, a lot of women are, um, and and men to to put it, you know, both ways. I think we're so focused on that other person and that performance aspect that we miss out on the pleasure, even in the small touches that lead up to, all well, lead up to whatever sexual experience or creative experience you're describing. And it's really beautiful when my ninja responders can get to the place <laughs> where they can. They're, they'll be laying in bed still nothing super intense going on and, and they'll be able to say to their wives I love this sex with you mm. and it's saying I see I, I accept you and I like you and I this is legitimate this is this counts in my books mm. and I tell you when I can get men to that point their wives respond really really well to that well, of course, because they finally are having sex in a way that feels very good for them. And I, when I even say the word sex, I, I should put that out there for my listeners. I, I am talking about a big umbrella of sexuality, intimacy, closeness. I think even the way you talk to your partner can be sex in some ways. So like, I'm not just talking about penetrative penis and vagina intercourse. Um, sex to me is like a session. You, you were talking about like a creative, it's like I call them the sex sessions where you talk, you engage, you flirt, you interact, you make decisions together around what do I want to do today? What might feel nice to me today? And it just sounds like you're leading them on this lovely experiment into what is pleasurable for me and how do I just break it down to every level? <laughs> yeah. So what I want to share is that it's not, I don't want to oversimplify this. Like, oh, just, you know, just follow your pleasure. Just trust what feels good. Just follow. like, we have so much against us from our culture, from our society that goes against everything that I'm teaching and that, and that you're teaching as well, Angela. And so I, I don't ever want women to blame themselves. You know, mm -hmm. why can't I just have a natural experience? Why can't I just set boundaries? Why can't I just, you know, follow my pleasure and follow my intuition? We have we have it against us. It's and it's and it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have husbands who will say, Well, I like touching your breath. So I'm gonna touch your breath because, you know, two become one. Like our bodies are are each other's now and that's the way it is and we have to unpack that and for women to step up and have that courage to be like no actually this is my body and I love you we're married but we're this is still my body 
And I'm only going to do things that are enjoyable to me. And actually enjoyable to me is not what you see in porn or in movies. So there's a a lot of work there to be done. I wanted to add to that too. I think, um, I don't think we give people a lot of uh, help around how to handle rejection like that. You know, like it feels sometimes when a person hears that, they feel like a total rejection of themselves. When it's not, it's, hey, this is my body and this is what feels good and this is what doesn't. And when you touch me like that without my permission, it feels invasive. Um, but I don't, I don't think people see it that way sometimes. I, I think they see it as like an affront to them as a person or um, that they're not a good enough partner in some way. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Definitely my husband went through that stage um, it is worse when pornography addiction is in place. So whenever I'm talking to a woman and she shares things with me, I can pretty much in the first five minutes figure out if her husband is watching porn or not. It's quite incredible, actually. Um, so that's like another another situation. But just for a man who has a, a healed brain, um, it is like, it's a maturation process. This is, you know, to be, to go from this, kind of narrowly defined prescriptive model of sexuality, which is really like a distorted male model of sexuality in our culture. I don't think it's a real male model, but the distorted one to, to break out of that cage and to go into this expansive, sophisticated, mature sexuality. That takes a lot of personal growth on both parts. So yeah, absolutely. It, it can feel like rejection it can feel scary it can feel I mean all sorts of stuff um you know we have to we have to unlearn a lot of messages that we're taught uh, especially men I mean men have been so affected by our world boys at age four are you know touched less by their peers by their parents they're told to you know suck it up don't be a pussy like just deal with deal with it the only touch that is available to them really is sexual touch and aggressive touch. And so, man, like I, I, I really honor men and I, I'm fascinated by the male brain, huge part of what I study. And, um, I think men just want to do a good job. They want to be successful. They want to make their wives happy. And, this can be, yeah, it's such a challenging, you know, state for both of them. So I want to uh, point something out because um, I there's certain language you're using that I'm just throwing out there. It's just a little different from sex therapy language, um, but I always try to explain some of those differences so our listeners kind of understand. Um, so as a sex therapist, we don't necessarily have any um, negative connotations with sex or not sex with porn or uh, porn addiction because we work with a lot of people who still watch porn and still enjoy it as a part of their relationships. Um, but I can definitely see the elements of porn that have caused harm in terms of um, you know, like when people are kind of using that as their only model of education. And when they're using, uh, I mean, sometimes using porn instead of their sexual relationship, I've definitely seen that. But I will say um, there are some differences, at least for my listeners to understand in terms of the debates around is porn an addiction or is porn not an addiction? 
And I want you to know that too, but I, I still kind of respect that what you're trying to do is trying to remove shame, trying to help couples have um, some kind of relationship that is pleasure focused. And it sounds like you're working with a certain group of people that are really hurt by porn, like that for whatever reason, it has caused harm in their relationship and they don't want it to be a part of their lives. And as a sex therapist, it's also my job to deeply respect people where they're at, uh, regardless if you fall on one side of that spectrum or another. I'm wondering what your oh, thoughts yeah. are or if you know much about that debate because it is a big debate and I try to just kind of listen <laughs> when I hear the debate. <laughs> I think I think you're spot on. Nothing's a problem until it's a problem. So if pornography is something that couples enjoy, it's not a problem because no one's having a problem with it. Does that make sense? Sure. So... You know, and and do I casually watch porn or, or am I addicted? I just say, well, if you try to quit, you want to quit. If it's something you want to do and you can't, then maybe you need to get some extra help. That's all. No, I understand. Um, yeah. So, but I, I can, and I guess, so it's not like I'm making a stance. Mm-hmm. I have never, in my work with the specific population I work with, I've never seen it be helpful. I've always seen it being detrimental. So that that's all, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And watching my husband heal from porn was, then it was, um, well, super scary because I didn't know it was in his life. Mm-hmm. But it was fascinating to watch the changes that happened. I mean, he lost 70 pounds. He started sleeping better. Got a promotion at work. His anxiety decreased. I mean, just phenomenal. And in terms of the sexual experience, he was able to maintain an erection for way longer. He he now can respond to my sexuality without any movement. So even when I'm starting to feel pleasure, he gets an erection, which never happened before. So just <laughs> amazing, miraculous changes. Miraculous. Like I used to say, slow down. He literally couldn't. Um, just I could go on and on about the, just the things I saw in my own marriage, not only just the thing, miraculous things I've seen in other marriages as well. So I guess I only go by experience and I go by you know, the articles I've, I've read and, and what I'm seeing couples facing and, and challenges. And the only variable is uh, that porn is in the picture. So, yeah, I'm not here to make a stance or make anyone feel shameful about what they like. Because, again, it's not a problem if it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's the hard thing too is, you know, we're in a country that's a little bit divided about different things. So why I personally just kind of take a stance of listening and and just seeing both sides. I know to your point that if something's a problem for somebody and it's making them unhappy, then we want to do whatever we can to help them stop doing whatever that thing is so that they can be happy. And for people who have embarked on that journey of saying, you know what, I'm just going to let go of porn in my life and I'm going to focus on other things. One thing, regardless of how people have believed in one way or the other, because I've had people who are like porn advocates actually, but stopped watching porn for a time because they kind of wanted to re-experience sex. It wasn't necessarily a bad thing for them. You know, like it wasn't life altering or threatening, but in some ways I've I've had guys sit in the office and just say to me, you know, I, I kind of want to do this because I want to re-experience sex in a new way with my partner that doesn't have these expectations. So I appreciate the work that you're doing and um, anything that's helping people in a way to re- reduce the shame around sex 
and make it more pleasure focused and really just change those expectations because I definitely see a lot of hurt in the people that are uh, trying to have, as you put it, performance-based sex. <laughs> yeah, and and it's really been interesting for me to see, and again, I'm not a not an addicted expert and I you know, I try to be very clear about my professional experience and training with this, but I do observe. And I think because I, I have a really unique and wonderful opportunity to observe a very small portion, you know, a very, very clear dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do get to see these patterns kind of happening over and over again. And, it, and it's fascinating to me, actually. And so what I, I'm curious about, and I've tried to consult with many other people, but there's no real, like you said, there's no real... <laughs> what's the truth, right? The truth is kind of relative. But well, the research but means I, we're always changing and growing. <laughs> right, right? Like, gosh. So, so what I, I'm curious is, is orgasm. There's a, a, there is an addict, there can be an addictive element to orgasm. And porn is the vehicle for the orgasm. So even when you, I, I've, I've seen men really, artificially raise their libido by frequent masturbation so and that becomes a challenge again it's not a problem if it's, if it's not a problem but it for the couples I work with it is a problem because there's it's creating way too much pressure on the sexual experience and for the woman to enjoy it so it's it's this is a big topic and there's so many facets to it and there's and then you throw in attachment issues in there and you it's, it's a big, I mean, I, I'm kind of on a journey just to learn more about w- the patterns I'm seeing happen. Well, thank you for j- sharing your journey. Um, so we're towards the end of the podcast. I was wondering if there's any final thoughts you just wanted to share about what you're doing or just thoughts to women and men in general that you want them to have as a takeaway about sex and relationships. Oh, I know. Big question, yeah. right? And just put you right yeah. on the spot. <laughs> You're like, gosh, Angela. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think wherever you are in your journey, you know, whether you're the one who wants it more or wants it less, or you guys are doing great, I think whatever that can move you closer to feeling normal is a good thing to do. Thank you for joining us. You have been listening to Jana Denton Howes, and she is a marriage coach. And I am Angela Skirtu. You've been listening to my podcast, www.aboutsexpodcast.com. You can also find me at www.therapistinstlouis.com. Stay kinky, St. Louis.